Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things, charity never faileth. Our Father, we give you thanks for your holy written word. And for the anointing upon your word and upon our ears to hear it accurately, our minds to be open unto it, our hearts to be receptive, for revelation knowledge to flow mightily. Thank you, dear Father God, for enlarging our capacity to receive this revelation knowledge that we may go forth as doers of your word and not hearers only. I thank you for utterance in the Holy Ghost to boldly proclaim the truth in demonstration of the spirit of power that our faith would stand not in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. We're talking about the divine love of God. In very quick review, we're talking about God's love because we said that if we want to achieve God's ultimate purpose for our lives, we must learn then how to study the Bible to do so. And we should begin by starting with the subject of divine love. Because God's ultimate purpose for all of our lives is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. So that He can reproduce His own life in us. So that through us, He can reach out to a lost and needy world. Amen? So he chose to begin here, starting with the subject of divine love, because God is love. And when we walk in love, we walk in God, and God walks and lives and dwells within our lives. We said that there is a tremendous difference between what is termed phileo love and agape love. Phileo love is the highest form of natural human love, a responsive type love based on sentimentality and feeling. We said agape love, the divine love of God, is love that is guided and governed by principle and rule. It can have natural affection, but it's not ruled or governed or guided by sentimentality or feeling. Agape love never ignores principle. Although we may feel as though we want to do something, our feelings can be deceptive. We must base our lives upon what love would do according to the rules. And who wrote the rules? God did. Who developed the principles? God did. And that's why we have to learn. See, if our minds are not equipped with knowledge of what love does and what agape love does not do, our love then can be misguided and misdirected and cause a whole lot of heartache and misery. 
And that's why we're studying. For those of you who are not with us, this is our sixth lesson, so you'll have to catch up. But we're right here in verse 7. We're starting with love, agape love, hopes all things. Agape love hopes all things. We've already talked about the other things. We'll pick it up right here. Agape love hopeth or hopes all things. And what this means is that love or divine love looks to the fulfillment of all the promises of God, whether they can be fulfilled now in this life or in that which is to come. It hopeth all things. See, hope looks to the future. So this is love looking to the fulfillment of all the things that God has promised in His Word, whether they can be fulfilled now or whether they can be fulfilled and will be fulfilled in the future. And let me just give to you some different translations that will reveal to us some things that hope does and what place it should have in our lives. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6, you can write it down. It's the New English Bible's translation of that verse. And it says, And we are that household of His, if only we are fearless and keep our hope high. Notice, hope has its place in the believer's life. It is a spiritual force. And it has its place in the life of the believer. And the believer is admonished to keep his hope high. For we are of the household of God. So hope has its rightful place. It is to be kept high. High hopes. In Romans 12:11 in the Amplified Bible, in verse 12 I'll read from the New English Bible, it says, Never lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Be aglow and burning with the Spirit. Now we all believe that, don't we? We should be ablaze, burning with the Spirit, aglow with the Spirit. Never lacking in zeal. Toward God. Zeal means ardent interest. Deep concern. We're interested in the things of God. We are interested in the things that God is interested in. If we find ourselves not being concerned about the people who are lost around us, who are dying and departing from this life, entering into eternity without Jesus Christ, then we're not as interested in the things of God as we should be. God is first and foremost concerned about and interested in the salvation of all men. And we should not lag in that zeal. That should be burning within us. We should keep a glow in the Spirit, he's saying. But now notice, let's read on. Let hope keep you joyful. Let hope keep you joyful. If a person loses sight of hope, that person's going to lose his or her joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. We can lose spiritual initiative. We can become discouraged. And that's why he says, look, people, keep your hope high. Keep it up there. Don't lag in zeal and in earnest endeavor. Let your hope keep you joyful. Jesus pressed on. Because of the joy that was set before him. He knew that although he had to die the terrible death, he knew the results thereof. He knew the results it would bring. And so he looked beyond what he had to face in life. See, he had a blessed hope on the inside. 
of the fulfillment of the Father's dream. And so He gave Himself over to the will of the Father, went to the cross. It kept Him joyful. You see, it kept Him joyful. It was His strength. It enabled Him to overcome and succeed in all of His endeavors. So hope has its place in the life of the believer. And love hopeth all things. Now turn with me to the book of Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. And beginning at verse 21. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight. Colossians 1.23 If you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you have heard and which was preached to every creature which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister. Notice it is possible to be moved away from the hope of the gospel. God doesn't want that. He presents us, Jesus does before the Father, without fault, without flaw, without blemish, unreprovable in His sight. If we continue rooted and grounded, stable, in other words, in the faith, and not moved away from the blessed hope of the gospel. See, it's possible to lose sight of what that hope is and not to fully understand or recognize its importance in our lives. But love doesn't do that. Love hopeth all things, allows hope to have its place within the spirit life. And we're not to be removed from the hope of the gospel. Well, what is that blessed hope that we have? The hope that he's referring to deals with the future of the believer. And when it's understood, it serves as a positive influence that will affect the way we live in this present age. It serves as a positive influence, a force in our lives that will affect the way we live in the now. When you see a person turning his or her back on the things of God, walking away from the things of God, that person has turned his back on the blessed hope, has not given hope its rightful place. And sometimes we just want to use faith to get them back into fellowship with God, when in reality, that's not enough. Faith has to give substance to the things that we hope for. That person has lost all hope and has to be dealt with at that level. Hope has its rightful place in the scheme of things. And that's why the Bible says, Now about it's faith, hope, and charity, love, divine love. But the greatest of all these, of course, is love. But hope does have its place. And so let's look at the, at the Word to see what it says about this hope. Look with me, if you would, please. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. Romans chapter 8 and verse 22. In Romans 8, 22, For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. 
And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope. Now, the Apostle Paul was not contradicting what he said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith. You see, hope has its place in salvation because at this point, we do not have completed salvation. We are saved in spirit. Our minds are in the process of being saved. And our physical bodies are yet to be saved. That's where we're at in the plan of salvation right now. And the apostle was saying, look, the whole creation is travailing and groaning in travail. Until what? Until completed redemption is realized. And then he says, we within ourselves even also groan. Why? Because we recognize that our salvation has still not been completed. We have not experienced complete redemption as of yet. We have a hope that saves us, a hope that motivates us to do something with our lives as we live upon this earth for Jesus Christ. See, it's not all done yet. It's not all finalized yet. We just can't do our own thing in life. We can't live the way we want to live upon this earth and expect to have a completed redemption. We can't expect to do that. We recognize the human faults and the frailties and the failures that we have in our human makeup. And we don't like them. You might get up in, a mirror, in the morning and look in a mirror and not be satisfied with what you see. And then something on the inside begins to groan and travail from within because you want to do something about that. You want to be unclothed from this body of human weakness and frailty and clothed upon with a glorified, immortal, incorruptible body that will never sin against a living God, a holy God. He said, but I don't have that. Well, then something's wrong. Something is wrong, desperately wrong. You've been moved, removed from the hope of the gospel. We should all want to obtain a better redemption. To have a more glorious resurrection. The Apostle Paul says, it moves me to live a holy life in this earth. The Apostle John said something other, other than that, but we'll look at it a little bit later. But the Apostle Paul says, I want to be unclothed. I want to be removed from this body of the flesh. I want to have a glorified body. An incorruptible body. Full of glory. One that will never fall short of the glory of God ever again. What a blessed day. What a blessed time. It's going to happen, my brother and sister, but we're not there yet. And you know what? Faith can't bring that into reality for us right now. See, our faith will work with that hope. And in the future, it will be made manifest. But we can't have that right now. If that were to happen, we'd be raptured out of this place. And that's what's going to happen at the rapture. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, this is called the hope of salvation. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, this is called the hope of salvation. We are to wear this blessed hope as a helmet of salvation. It keeps our head pointed in the right direction. Young people, middle-aged people, all of us. We're constantly being distracted. We're constantly being tempted. 
lured away by the enemy. He constantly wants our heads to be going in different directions, being double-minded, back and forth, back and forth, distracted, removed from the hope of our salvation. To deceive us into thinking that we can do things as we see fit, throw principle and rule out the window, it doesn't matter. I talked with an individual who was managing a Bible bookstore at this particular time, and I went in looking for certain materials. And this particular person from a denominational background said to me that, well, I've, I've grown beyond certain things. I said, well, what do you mean? Well, I've grown beyond having to, to study the Bible, to know what I should do with my life. I said, you really have? I said, that's really great. That, that's, that's just, ah, give me that secret, how you've succeeded. How you've arrived at this place of holiness. Well, I found out that God's a God of grace and mercy. And that means that He has provided for us a complete and total redemption. And it doesn't matter what we do. If I don't want to read my Bible, I don't have to. If, if I want to go out and commit adultery, that doesn't matter because God will forgive it. And you know what? It doesn't matter what. I can even go rob a bank if I wanted to and God would forgive that. So it doesn't matter what I do with my life. It doesn't matter how I act with my life and in my life. Thank God that I have found out this secret. I know where He got it from too. Three devils. A lying spirit, deceiving spirit, and seducing spirit. That's where he got it from. I said, that's where he got it from. Because that's not in the Bible. That's not in the Word of God. In other words, the helmet of salvation is for us to get our heads on straight, is what it means. And that's not keeping our head on straight. We can't do what we want to do. We can't act as we want to act. And, beloved, I'll tell you what, we should be working out our salvation with fear and much trembling, knowing that when we do act out of line with the Word of God, we better have remorse within our hearts and godly sorrow that produces repentance within our lives because it's a dangerous thing to be in the hands of a holy God. And we should be constantly in prayer before the Lord saying, Father, what I see that I don't like, change me by the power of Your Spirit and quicken me by by the Word of the living God. And burn up the chaff in my life by the consuming fire of your holiness, that I may be holy, that I may walk holy before you. See, the helmet of salvation is our hope. Look at here in verse 8. Be, but let us, who are of the day, be sober. In other words, have our head on straight. Putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet. Notice it talks about the three. Faith, hope, and love. The breastplate of faith and love. And for a helmet, see, the hope of our salvation, what puts our head on straight, protects our head. The hope of salvation. There is a blessed hope. We have, as of yet, have not received completed redemption. And so we have to have something that serves as a protection for our head so that the enemy doesn't come in and put all those deceptive, seducing thoughts within our minds to get us to think that we can go off and do what we want to do. And that's why he's saying this. It is the hope of our salvation. Look at 1 John chapter 3 and we'll see what he said about it. In 1 John chapter 3, beginning at verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. What a privilege. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew Him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that. I like that. 
We know that. It's not something we're surmising. It's not something we're guessing. We're not theorizing. This is something that we know. We know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And every man that hath this hope does what he wants to do with his life. No, it doesn't say that, does it? See, this hope, beloved, that we're not to be removed from serves as a motivating force and influence within our lives that causes us to live pure before a holy God. He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Look at Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. We have a further revelation. Of this hope that he's talking about. We want this stirred up within ourselves. Because very often it's easy to be distracted. To to get in our own setting of life. And just think about what pertains to us. And that's it. You know my family and what's going on in our lives. And that's all there is to it. Yet we have to recognize that we are a part of the overall plan and program of God. Yes, we've got to be concerned about ourselves and our fans. We've also got to be concerned about the things that God is concerned about, interested in the things that God is interested in, and get involved in, in doing the work of the Lord upon this earth. And this is how we're going to do it. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men. In other words, every man has a chance, because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared in one form or one way or another. Through the written Word of God, through the spoken Word of God. The Bible says through the, through the signs in the universe, through man's conscience, he knows there is a God. I didn't have the Word of God inside me. When I began to cry out, I don't want to go to hell. I didn't know the ways of the Lord. When I began to cry out, I don't want to go to hell. I want heaven to be my home. And I said, Lord, if there's a way I could know I can go to heaven. Why was I talking like that? No one was preaching or teaching me the gospel message. But something in my inner consciousness began to tell me, you're lost. And I believe that same appearing is to all men. The appearing of God's grace. The appearance of God's grace. The Bible says in the, in the universe, in His act of creation, the God has is revealed. So that man is without excuse. But the grace of God teaches us a few things. Look at verse 12. That denying ungodliness... And worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope. Once again, and the glorious appearance of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So once again, we see that we're not to be removed from this. This is constantly to be within our hearts and minds. The, the, the fact that Jesus is coming again soon. And we say soon because it's sooner than when it was when it was first written. It's sooner than it was a thousand years ago. It's sooner than it was 500 years ago. It is sooner than it was. And it's pertaining to our lives. I don't know how old you are, but it's soon. Because we're not going to live on this earth forever. We're going to meet the Maker. But there'll be that day that He comes in the clouds of glory and fulfills this part of God's plan. But listen, 
it serves as a motivating force and influence with, within our lives that is to register upon our hearts and minds this hope that we have that's born out of agape love that says, look, we are to live righteous and soberly and godly in this present evil world, holding forth to it the word of life. What we do with our lives is important. If we want a glorious resurrection, a completed redemption, then we've got to be motivated to live a godly, holy life upon this earth. Amen. As we live before His presence. And that's what He's saying here. And this hope is a part of our motivation. Look at also in 1 Thessalonians where we have this revealed to us. Chapter 4. You know it, but we'll read through it again. God's Word is good even the second time around. A part of that blessed hope not only involves our glorification in body, putting on an incorruptible body, an immortal body, that's glorious. Our resurrection, a glorious resurrection, the crown of righteousness, the victor's crown, all that belongs to us, the receiving of our rewards, that's the future hope that we have. And we thank God for that. But beloved, have you lost a loved one in Christ? Has a loved one departed from your life who is in Christ? One whom you love dearly and cared about and still care about and concerned about? Well, once again, we're not to be removed from the hope of what? Of being reunited with our family members. And that's why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to these people who were concerned about those who were dying in Christ. Jesus said, if you believe on me, you'll never die. But yet they're dying. We don't understand it. This is the first letter that was written. They wanted to have some understanding about it. And Paul said, look, verse 13, Don't be ignorant. I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no what? Have no hope. Hope. If you've lost a loved one, there is a blessed hope that you have from within. And that hope, moves and motivates you to live a godly life. I tell this to people at funerals all the time. Just because people die doesn't mean they went to heaven. If they're born again, they're in heaven and they're, because they're a child of God. And thank God for it. If it was your loved one who has departed, the only hope that you have that you'll see that person's life again, ever have any kind of acquaintance or contact with that person again, is if you are also in Christ. Amen. It's what the Word reveals. Those who are not in Christ will sorrow at the departure of a loved one having no hope. There is no hope. There are no words of comfort. When the person's not in Christ, what can you give? There are no words. There is no hope. But we sorrow not as others that have no hope because we have a hope. We have a motivating force deep within our spirit. There will be a reunion in the sky. And that's what He reveals. Can you imagine them hearing this for the first time? Never having this revelation before, can you imagine being the first one there to listen to what the, the Spirit of God was saying to the church by the lips of the Apostle Paul? Did you say your father de departed who was in Christ? Did you say your mother departed who was in Christ? Was it your sister, your husband, your wife, your brother? Who was it? Listen to these words. Sorrow not as those that have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. He's not coming by Himself. He's bringing them with Him. 
For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain to the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God. And the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. This is the believer's blessed hope. Thanks be to God, I've used those words countless times to comfort the lives of, of those who've lost their dear family members, friends, and loved ones through death and departure. To comfort their spirits, to let them know you have a blessed hope. Focus on that. Don't be removed from it. When all this comes against you, upheaval comes to your mind to try to remove you from that blessed hope. And there you are lonely thinking, what am I going to do with my life? Remember this. The devil's trying to get you distracted, trying to get you away from this blessed hope. This is a part of the program of God, my brother and sister. A part of the program of God. And death will never separate you again. If you find yourself feeling sorry for yourself and having a pity party about all these things, rise up. Recognize you've been moved from the hope. Let love manifest itself in hope in your life. Read these beautiful scriptures and begin to meditate upon them. And that hope will cause your joy to rise up once again. It will be the strength of your life and you'll overcome. You'll overcome. Oh, praise God. And you'll be an influence even unto others who have suffered loss of a loved one. Now, there's a second side to this in, in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, uh, 11. Hebrews chapter 11, there's a second part to this. And this is referring to hope that faith can give substance to in this realm of life, in the realm in which we live. In other words, there are some things that faith will give substance to in the future, that we cannot receive the reality of in this life in which we live right now. But there are others that God has provided for us as statements of facts and promises in His Word that faith can give substance to in this realm of life. And in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, here's where we get our definition of faith. Now, faith is the substance of things what? See, hope for. And in reality, beloved, I know we use this to teach the, the message of faith and faith principles. But in reality, he is referring to the hope of salvation. He's referring to faith giving substance to the hope of salvation that we have our completed redemption, that is, in the future. Which is why we're not to cast away our confidence that has a great recompense of reward. Look, if you just back up to verse 35, let's read that together. See, faith is designed to give substance to the, to the things we hope for in this life according to the guidelines of God's Word. But there are other things that faith is designed to give substance to, but not in this realm of life. But it doesn't mean we just cast our faith aside. We, we maintain that faith and hope so that in, in the life that is to come, those things are also realized. He's referring to here salvation. Verse 35, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence which hath great recompense of reward. You have need of patience that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. He's talking about the promise of something you can't receive in this realm of life. Well, what is that? It's the promise of completed redemption. Verse 37. For yet a little while, and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of them who draw back unto perdition. See what he's talking about? 
those who are removed from the blessed hope, those who have lost sight of the fact that the only way they're going to see their loved ones who have departed in Christ is to live a godly life in Christ here upon this earth. Those who have lost sight of a better resurrection, a glorified body, an immortal body, glorious body. They lost sight of all that, and so they begin to go back and do their own thing, so to speak, and live the kind of life they wanted to. We're not like them, but of them that believe to the saving of the soul. We believe in completed redemption. And then he goes on. You see, man separated this for, for reference sake, chapter and verse. He just went on saying, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. And you have this hope of the resurrection. And you have this hope of completed redemption. You have this hope of a glorified body. You have this hope of an immortal body. You have this hope of a better resurrection, a more glorious resurrection, and receiving the victor's crown of righteousness. You have this hope of being reunited together with your family, friends, and lovers who have departed from this life to be with the Lord. When He comes and splits the clouds of glory, well then go on with the Lord. Don't draw back into perdition. Don't draw back and turn your back on the Lord. And that's what these people were doing. Because he said, see, faith gives substance to what you hope for. It's the act of energizing faith that you demonstrate in your life to live godly upon this earth that proves you are walking with Him. So continue to walk in the realm of faith knowing that He's not going to tarry that much longer. He's going to come soon, people. He's coming before you realize it. So keep your hope high. Keep your eyes focused upon Jesus because He's coming again soon. And let that motivate you to live godly and righteous and holy upon this earth. Oh, young people, I've heard many say, I'll live the way I want to live. I'll do the things I want to do. And then when I get older, then I'll begin to serve the Lord. Don't let the devil deceive you that way. You remove yourself from the protective covering of the Lord when you do that. You get out there beyond the grace of God and you begin to function out there as a free will agent and God will not stop you from doing it. But all kinds of things can come upon you as a result. That is not logic that comes from God. That is deception that comes from the devil. We cannot live by that mentality and expect to succeed in life and experience God's best. No, God wants you now. You know what? I'm not ashamed to say it. Yes, God wants your life. He wants you to live for Him. He, he died for you. He wants you to live for Him. He gave Himself for you. He wants you to give yourself to Him. He wants you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Him. He wants you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Thank God for your godly parents. Thank God for godly parents. But the final analysis is, is going to be this. One day we'll all individually stand before a living God, knowing that He made us free will moral agents to choose as, as how we would live upon this earth. And it'll be between ourselves and Him alone. And we can't blame anybody else. What did you do with the blood of my Son will be the question. Let faith give substance to this hope. But you see, this other side of it says this. There are certain things that God has provided for us in the Scriptures that faith can give substance to in this realm in which we live. And I want you to see that in Romans chapter 4. And here's where faith and hope, as it's energized by love, work together for us to obtain the promises of God and the benefits of God. In Romans chapter 4... We have a revelation of it. In verse 17, referring to Abraham, As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. 
before him who he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become. You see that? Hope served its purpose in Abraham's life. But at one point, he had no hope to ever believe he could become a father of one, let alone a father of many nations. But the word of the Lord came forth unto him. And the first effect it had upon his spirit life was one of hope. The hope began to rise up on the inside because he heard from heaven above. And then, as he began to see how serious God was with him, that hope gave place to faith. And faith then went into operation and caused hope to become a reality. See, this is what faith does. Let's read through it first and I'll explain it. Who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead. When he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God. See, the promise can be in the future and the promise can be in the now. He staggered not at this promise of God, even though the odds were against him. Even though his body was responding otherwise, dictating otherwise. Even though circumstances dictated otherwise. He didn't cast hope aside. He gave hope its place and said, faith will give substance to what I hope for. Faith will cause it to come into the realm of reality. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. Make note of this. Faith takes the unrealities of hope and brings them into the realm of reality by being fully persuaded that what God promised to do, he will do. That's what it does. Faith takes the unrealities of hope and brings them into the realm of reality by being fully persuaded that what God had promised to do, He is able also to perform. It's not just that I know He can heal my body. I know He performs it. It's not just knowing, I, uh, knowing He can make me a father of many nations. He can and He has. Faith then looks beyond the circumstances of the senses. Faith then looks beyond the dictates of feeling and says, even though the doctor says no, even though my mind says no, even though my body says no, I take into consideration that what God promised He's able to perform because He's God. And then faith takes the unreality of hope and brings into the realm of reality and it becomes. That's how faith works. Oh, that's how faith works. And my brother and sister, it's given me a bigger family, and I know that. And I thank him for it. Living testimonies of what faith can do in its proper place. Next is love endures all things, going back to 1 Corinthians. There's so much more to say about faith and hope, but time won't permit us to do that. Endures all things. In verse 7, it beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Now notice it also endures all things. Endureth. This, by the, we could say it this way. This is agape exercising endurance, perseverance, and fortitude 
when encountering trials, temptations, and persecution. This is love, agape, exercising endurance, perseverance, and fortitude when encountering trials, temptations, and persecutions. In Romans chapter 5, in verse 3, very often we quote verse 5, but sometimes we do so out of its setting. Let's put it in its setting and see what the apostle was talking about by the Spirit. Romans chapter 5, in verse 3, I'm reading from the Amplified Bible. Romans chapter 5, beginning at verse 3. Moreover, let us ex- also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in troubles, in our troubles, and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patience and unswerving endurance. And endurance, or fortitude, develops maturity of character, that is, approved faith and tried integrity. And character of this sort produces the habit of joyful and confident hope of eternal salvation. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. For God's love has been poured forth or poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has has been given to us. Notice how they all work together. We separate them only to observe and to see how they act apart from each other. But we have to keep them put together. Because hope is involved in this. Faith, love, hope, all these forces working together. All springing out of love. Here we see that when we're in the midst of persecution, when we're in the midst of trials, when we're in the midst of temptation, we have love exercising itself in perseverance, in fortitude, in endurance, enabling us to loose the abilities of God from within our spirit so that we can overcome and develop in character. And the more we allow perseverance and fortitude and endurance through hope and through love overtake our lives and pour forth out of our hearts, then the more we're going to grow in the character of God. The Apostle Paul, I'll show you something here, in the book of Acts chapter 9... The Bible says, was told what great things he would have to suffer for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. Do you remember that? Jesus said, let him go. He's a chosen vessel of mine. But there are many things I want to show him that he's going to have to suffer suffer for my name's sake. We're not going to live in this realm of life without persecution, without temptation, without trials. And the faith message was never designed to say that we wouldn't have any of these things. We're going to face these things. We're going to encounter these things in life. And in some instances, he's going to tell us exactly what we're going to have to face. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult. You're going to have to face all kinds of things. You know what, beloved? We are a spoiled people who live in the United States of America. We have the things the way we want things. We live our life free. We're at at liberty to move about as we want as free will moral angels and not concerned about a whole lot about what government even says because we are the government of the nation. But you know what? Our brothers and sisters who live in other countries, they know what true persecution is. They know what it means to be persecuted for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You read about the Apostle Paul, people say he was sick. My goodness, if a sick man can can experience what that man experienced, he's healthier than all of us. Sick. 
Think about it. It's a mouthful, but it's true. Did you ever read about them? Let's go to 2 Corinthians. You're in 1 Corinthians. Go to 2 Corinthians. Chapter 11. This man was told, you're going to suffer many things. But God gave him the fortitude. He gave him the enduring power. He gave him the perseverance, what was necessary for him to overcome. And the Bible says the Lord delivered him out of all of his persecutions. And that's what will happen when we give ourselves over into these positive forces of the recreated human spirit. But if we give ourselves over unto these other things and allow ourselves to be discouraged and lose spiritual initiative and not give ourselves over to, to love and endurance, then you see what happens? We are defeated and we don't overcome. But this man experienced and exercised all these virtues, fortitude, perseverance, endurance, love, enduring all things so he could rise up as a conqueror over all these things. In 11th chapter, look at this. Verse 22. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. In the ministers of the Christ, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. Stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths off. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice beaten with rods. Once was, I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck at night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the woods, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, painfulness, watchings often, in hunger and thirst, fastings and cold, nakedness, beside those things that are come without, that which are cometh upon me daily, the care of the church." Can you imagine coming from a beaten with rods and one brother says, I don't like the way you closed the service, Brother Paul. You took too long during the offering. I couldn't sit there long enough because I was so upset. Beaten with rods. Whipped 39 times on his back. Bleeding. Left for dead. Stoned. Yeah, that was hard for you to endure, brother. I'll try to be a little shorter next time. Glory. We don't know what it's like to be persecuted. Oh, the pastor said we're going to fast on Wednesday. Oh, Lord, supper. Oh. Will I ever make it? Fourteen days he was on a ship and didn't have anything to eat. I mean, think about it. We don't know what it's like to be beaten, to be imprisoned. We don't know what it's like to stand before kings, to have to be delivered by an angel or beheaded. We don't know what it's like. And I believe that's one reason why we lack in character development in our lives. If we had some of these privileges that we have, if we, been, if we were denied many of these things, I believe we'd wake up and rise up to a place of character development in Christ. We're so quick to complain about so many things, my brother and sister. Let me give you another illustration. Hebrews chapter 11, 35. And we'll, we'll go quick through this so we can conclude. Hebrews chapter 11. 35. Look, look at some of these things. We're not talking about suffering sickness. Sickness would have been a pleasure for him to suffer. Cold would have been fine. 
beaten with rods, stoned to death, left for dead in the sea? Without a life support. I mean, think about it. Without a life preserver. There he was out there in the sea. Hebrews chapter 11, verse... This is the Hall of Fame. Sometimes we neglect to look all throughout the whole chapter. Look at... Um, Verse 35, some of the things that people had to suffer because of where they lived. Some women received, I'm reading from the Amplified. Some women received again their dead by resurrection. Others were tortured to death with clubs. Refusing to accept or to release, offered on the terms of denying their faith that they might be resurrected to a better life. They didn't lose sight of a better resurrection, did they? Others, in verse 36, had to suffer the trial of mocking, scourging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned to death. They were lured with tempting offers to renounce their faith. They were sawn asunder. They were cut in half. They were slaughtered by the sword. While they were alive, they had to go about wrapping the skins of sheep, goats, utterly destitute, oppressed, cruelly treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, roaming over the desolate places and mountains and living in caves and caverns and holes of the earth. Thank God for those who paved the way for us. Thank God for those who suffered all these things for you and me to have this liberty. Can you see why they came to this land? A land of the free where we can serve God without all that. Oh, have we taken it to abuse. We do not recognize and realize what it means. And all of these, though they won divine approval by means of their faith, did not receive the fulfillment of what was promised. Why? Because God had us in mind. Oh, Lord, we're not worthy of them. God had us in mind. Beloved, they used that kind of faith knowing they couldn't receive it. Knowing they couldn't receive it while they lived. Knowing they had to be the ones to, to be the martyrs. Knowing they had to be the ones to, to pave the way for you and for me. So the glory of God would be further revealed as the revelation came forth. Beloved, we are a blessed people. We are a blessed beyond our ability to imagine and understand. Yet we complain about so many petty things. We talk about endurance. You have not strived in the blood against sin like these have. Would to God our attention would be properly focused because God had us in mind and something better and greater in view for us so that, th- that these heroes and heroines of faith should not come to perfection apart from us. That is before we could join them. Oh, Father, thank you. In James chapter 1, James chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, suffering temptation. Beloved, we went quickly through that, but let me tell you something. We still don't know what it means to suffer persecution. We can say we do, but we don't know what it means. Persecution isn't, I'm at work and and people said I shouldn't talk about Jesus or something like that. We may call that somewhat persecution. These people suffer persecution for their belief. And we'll close it right here. James chapter 1, 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. Blessed, happy to be envied is the man who is patient under trial and stands up up under temptation. For when he has stood the test and been approved, he will receive the victor's crown of life, 
which God has promised to those who love Him. James 1, 13. Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted from God. For God is incapable of being tempted by what is evil, and He Himself tempts no man. Every man is tempted when he is drawn away, enticed, baited by his own evil desire, lust, and passions. Then the devil... Then the evil desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. Sin, when it is fully matured, brings forth death. Do not be misled. Do not be misled or misguided or misdirected. My beloved brethren, only the good and perfect gifts come from above. Do you see this? He's saying, yes, there will be temptations in this life. We can't live by the mentality that I can do what I want to do because it feels good to me. I'll do it. No. Redemption does not mean that I can live that kind of a lifestyle. We're going to be tempted to walk away from this proper course. We're going to be tempted to be and lured to, to give way and place to our emotional feelings and desires and the lust of our flesh and of our mind. But we're told that that is the evil one who is stirring up these desires within us that are evil because he knows that we've been a victim to them before. And he wants us to walk once again in their path. And the Bible says we will overcome through endurance. Blessed is the man who exercises endurance, who exercises fortitude, endurance, and perseverance, constantly putting up self-restraint resistance against these evil desires that war within our members that constantly want to rise up and dictate and dominate our lives. Thanks be to God, to the one who rises up in love and exercises endurance over these things so that we'll not follow that course, that wrong course of action, and then be lost eternally. Do we have a minute? Let's, let's close this with a minute. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. The last one is that love never fails. Love, agape, never fails. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 8 says, Love never fails. And what this really means in the Greek, to drop away, specifically to be driven out of one's course. Love never fails. It means to drop away or to be driven out of one's course. In other words, when we follow the plan of love, when we follow the, the, the qualities of love and allow the divine love of God to take place, to rise up and, and dominate within our hearts, within our lives, then we are guaranteed that we'll never get off the right course. We'll never fall away. We'll never fall off the right course. We'll not be distracted to the extent that we begin to go on, down, down another course or take another uh, path. We're always going to stay on the right course. And look what it says. Charity doesn't fail. Whether there's prophecies, they're going to fail. Whether there's tongues, they're going to cease. Whether there's knowledge, it'll vanish away. We know in part, we prophesy in part. When that which is perfect has come, that which is in part will be done away with. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I stood as a child, thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish things. Now we see through a glass darkly, but face to, then face to face. I know in part now, but then I'm going to know even as I'm known. And now abides faith, hope, and charity. These three, the greatest of these is charity, so follow after charity, stay on that course. Don't let Satan drive you off that course for any reason. Satan drives, God leads. Satan drives. Don't let Satan drive you off that course, no matter what the circumstance may be. Always go back, evaluate your life, determine whether or not you're flowing with, walking with the love of God. If you are walking in that realm of, of God's love, you'll see to it that that love will never allow you to depart from the course that God has set forth and ordained for your life and for mine. He has made a way that all those other things will pass away. We're to follow after charity and desire the manifestations of the Spirit. And that's what He wants us doing. Oh, would to God we could preach a message just on verse 8. Maybe we'll do that next week. I don't know. Let's all stand before His presence. 
I don't know what God's Word does to you. It excites me. It rises up inside my soul. I mean, my bones begin to just get on, a blazing on fire. Woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Do you love God? Do you love His Word? God's good. Are you excited today? Thank God for His love. It's been shed abroad in our heart. We've got the potential to walk in the realm of God, which is the realm of love. He's given us direction. We need not be misguided, misled, as He said. Don't be misled and misguided. Don't think God's tempting us in all these areas of our lives. It is the devil is the wicked one. He wants to get us on the course of what? Death. Because you see, when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin, which brings forth death. That's the wrong course that we are to take. Stay on the course of love and we'll always be successful in life. These are just a little, just a few thoughts for those of you who say, I want to learn to study the Bible. Well, praise God, we've given a lot of information here. Things that will get us studying for quite a while. Amen. If we study just all these qualities of love, I believe it will just set us uh, on the right path. Set things in motion properly. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.